Good morning. It's good to be with you guys today. Welcome. Um, thanks for being here with us uh, at our family gathering. I say this a lot, but just it bears repeating. Um, we call this our family gathering because we're the family of God because of Jesus, the Son who gave his life for us. So we believe that we are that family. We're, what, it, what it means to be a church is to be a people, not just a, a place with a steeple on it or a time slot. Um, but it's to be a community of people that are learning what it means to follow Jesus and to be his representatives in the world. So that's what we do when we gather together uh, on Sundays. So welcome into that. Um, if you haven't been with us, we have been doing a series uh, through many of Jesus's teachings, and uh, we've been looking in particular at Jesus's uh, most difficult teachings, the ones that seem on the surface, either controversial or confusing to us, and we're calling it upside-down axioms because it's a bit of a play on the word axiom because an axiom is a self-evident truth, and these seem to be anything but self-evident. But we want to know who this Jesus is and what he's about and and what does it mean to follow him and what what do his words mean? And uh, so we've been looking at uh, many of those words that are often... Uh, hard to uh, hear or hard to live. Um, and so last week we looked at the Lord's Prayer, which was kind of a, um, you know, the, the axiom that we kind of gloss over and we don't see for, for what it is. And today I, I had a, a plan um, for which one that we were going to do, and, uh, and I pulled a little bit of an audible. And I, I try not to do that very often. Um, one, because our worship team hates when I do that, because they, <laughs> they do a great job of, of planning out thematically so that the music that we sing is in line with uh, the themes of what we're, we're teaching. And so when I pull an audible, they go, oh, you did it again to me, you know. Like, um, and, uh, but there was a reason. And so part of the reason, and I'll, I'll get into it in a second. Um, when I read, reread the passage that we were planning to do, today, I felt like we've already touched on a lot of those themes. And so I started to look at some of the other passages that we were, they were kind of in the mix, you know, but they sort of got left on the cutting room floor. And I looked at this one, and um, I just felt miserable. I, <laughs> uh, I, I, was, I was so convict, convicted by uh, the implications of what I was reading, and misery loves company. So... <laughs> So you get to be miserable with, with me this morning. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I didn't say you're going to like it. I just said that you have to come along for the ride. Um, so here's the thing with this, with this particular teaching. It, it looks as though it's incredibly straightforward. Um, but the problem is, even though you can probably guess what it means, um, this teaching, if you were to live it, will turn your world upside down. And that's what makes it an upside down axiom. So what is it? Um, It's in Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37. uh, And Jesus says this, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill the Lord, the vow you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. 
And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to do is simply is say, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, all you need to do is simply say yes or no. Some translations you might be familiar with say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, here's, okay, you guys are smart people. What is Jesus saying to do? Be honest. The rest of you are like, yeah. <laughs> what do you add to that, you know? Uh, <laughs> stay out of the court system, yeah. Um, be truthful. Have integrity. Be honest. And so that's, that's why when you read it, you go, why is that upside down? It seems self-evident. Um, but, and the answer is it's, it's upside down not because it's counterintuitive, but because it's countercultural. Uh, in fact, it's, it's so countercultural to the way society works that you don't even know the ways that you've been discipled into thinking according to the way that our world works. You've been so ingrained with not letting your yes be yes and your no be no, and you don't even realize that you've allowed it to happen. And so when you start to dig underneath the surface, you realize oh my gosh, I've been discipled by the world. I've been led down a path and a way of thinking that is actually not in line with what Jesus is teaching if you really look at it for what it is. It's counterintuitive. It's, it's, it's countercultural. And, and it's, it, it's so countercultural because the way that you've been taught to be honest... Or, or I'll put it a different way, to tell white lies, because really, who's getting hurt in the end? To, to live with half-truths and misrepresentation and to be two-faced. Um, all these things are okay in our society, and here's what's happening. Uh, it, last week, I had to go to the dentist, and uh, the dentist told me that I had a cavity, and it was very uh, well-developed, he said. <laughs> Um, which meant that the, the acid that was eating my tooth away had gotten so close to the root that he wasn't sure if I needed a root canal or not. And he wouldn't know unless he went down to the place where the acid was to remove all of it out and to see what was left, to know whether or not my tooth could be spared. Um, and here's the thing. The poison is sunk so deep into you, you don't even realize how close it is to the root. You don't even know um, how, how in danger you are. Now, here, here's what that means for this morning, and this is where the pain, you know, my, my dentist said to me uh, two things, right? One, this is going to hurt. And two, I'm only hurting you so I can heal you. I'm being funny so far, but the reality is when it comes to the way that you and I think about honesty and the way that Jesus thinks about honesty, the, the, the poison has gotten down so close to the root that it's going to hurt to pull it out. But we have to realize that Jesus is the great dentist. <laughs> and he wants to heal us. And so this teaching of his, it's, it's going to search you and it's going to get on your nerve. But it's going to heal you if you let him do it. 
so let's look at the context of what Jesus is talking about, because that'll give us an idea of what he's getting at. The, the context is that Jesus is dealing with this popular understanding in his day about what it meant to be truthful. How do you know if you're being truthful or if you're telling lies? How, do, how, how truthful are you? And during this time, the, the generally accepted principle was that if you broke a promise, that the severity of the offense, how, how, how in the wrong you were when you broke that promise, was measured by what name you invoked when you made the promise in the first place. So the closer that you got to swearing by the Lord's name, if you took his name and kind of used that as a way to, to put a down payment on what you were saying, then, then the closer you got to using his actual name, the more binding your promise was. And so if you, if you invoked God's name specifically, it was as if you were saying, as God is my witness, I'm telling the truth. As God is my witness, I will keep my word. I will fulfill my oath, so help me God. And that, that brought a severity to, to, to your promise that said, I'm taking this thing seriously. Now, there were religious teachers in Jesus' day that were saying basically this. If you avoid using God's name, if you find a, a, a substitute, then the lie isn't as serious. You get off on a technicality. So if you don't use God's name but use his temple, uh, it's still wrong, but it's not as wrong as if you used his name. If, if you swear by the heavens, it's, you know, I mean, they're there, and God made them, but it's not as serious as if you said, so help me God. And, and Jesus, hear, hearing this teaching, comes into it, and he goes, no, I'm not having it. Um, he addresses it the, the same kind of mentality somewhere else in Matthew 23. Um, again, religious teachers are teaching this same kind of thing. And Jesus says to them, Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. I mean, talk about a technicality, right? And then he goes on and he says, Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar, that was the the place where God sat in the temple. Um, anyone who swears by the altar swears by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by the one who dwells in it. You see what he's saying? There's no such thing as a substitute. There's no such thing as getting off on a technicality. This, this, this same thinking of, I'm only bound to my promise. I only, I only have to be truthful under certain circumstances and conditions. And if, it's almost like saying, if I've set certain, like, um, fine print in my own mind, if I cross my fingers behind my back when I say something, then I'm not really bound to it. And we think kids are ridiculous when we do that, don't we? I mean, because what they say is still what they say, whether or not they've crossed their fingers or not. But we do it all the time. And Jesus is having none of it. it, it he gets so upset by this mentality. He, he goes, you're blind guides. He calls them fools. He says, woe to you, which is, he's pronouncing a curse on them for this kind of thinking. 
Now, why is he getting so upset? He's getting upset because of something that they forgot and something that we forget every day. You know what we forget? We forget that God is actually the creator and sustainer of everything. And that he's everywhere. We call that omnipresent. And so what that, he's everywhere you go. You go to the heavens, that's his throne room. You go to the earth, it's his footstool. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're in a building with a steeple on it or if you're in your closet at home. He sees everything, which means every word you say and every promise you make is done in the presence of God. He's always a witness to everything that you think, say, or do. There's no technicalities. There's no crossing your fingers and not being in the presence of God as though it's some kind of invisibility cloak. Um, you ever watch a movie where, I'll pick on guys, you know, that, where the husband cheats on his wife, and right before he's about to go down that path, what are the things that he does? He takes the wedding ring off. And if he's at his home, he takes the pictures of his wife and he turns them around. Now, why would you do that? It's because the picture and the ring are, are, are physical reminders of someone who's not present. They're stand-ins for the one that you made a vow to. And so when you turn those over, you're saying, I, can, I can't live with the reality that I'm breaking my promise, so I have to turn my eyes from anything that would show me how wrong I am. But don't you see what Jesus is saying? There's no picture you can turn over. There's no ring you can take off. There's nothing that you can do and nowhere you can go where you're not in the physical presence of the one who made you. There's no place in the world that he's not there. Now, here's the thing. If you really believed this, if, if to the bottom of your heart, if this was your operating reality, then your yeses would always be yes and your noes would always be no. In other words, you, you would be truthful and honest all of the time. And Jesus is saying, God isn't just in a temple far away. He's with you. Now, let me ask you something. We've turned the drill on, and we've started to get at the acid, right? When you hear this, um, that God is always with you, what emotions come bubbling to the surface for you? It was, it was, sometimes we dialogue here. Maybe you're not, that's a really uncomfortable question. I get it. But um, what, what's that? Comfort and fear. Yeah, interesting combination. Yeah, fear isn't always a bad thing. Yeah, right, right. We'll get there. Yeah. What are you going to say something to Love and joy. Yeah. Safety. 
guilt and shame, if we're being honest, yeah? Happy and sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forget that. I'm not saying yes or no to anything. <laughs> See, it, doesn't, it, doesn't it depend on your perspective? Um, because it's, it's either terrifying or it's, or it's the greatest news that there ever was. It's, it's terrifying news if you believe that God only accepts you based on whether or not you're a good person. Because if he knows everything that you've done and you can't hide anything from him, and you immediately go, uh-oh. But it's great news if you know the gospel. Right? If you know the gospel, the gospel says you're not accepted because you're good. You're accepted because you've been adopted. You belong to Jesus, and there's nothing that you can do to undo his promises to you. And so, yeah, he sees everything, but he sees everything like a father sees a son who wants to rescue his kid out of danger, not someone who wants to condemn them for wrong behavior. And that means when you think about God being with you, yeah, you, you should be filled both with joy and with fear. Joy that he's always with you and that he accepts you regardless of whether or not your yeses are yeses and your noes are noes. But at the same time, fear, because not because you're afraid of breaking his rules, but because you don't want to break his heart. And so you, you live with a reverence of God and go, I don't want to do things that would hurt my relationship to you. I don't want to grieve you because I know how much you love me. And that brings fear that I might do something that would put a wedge between me and you. See, we should have both. Um, like David. David had both. He's the greatest king of Israel's history. And in Psalm 16, verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. You see what he's doing there? He's recognizing the fact that everywhere I go, I recognize that God is always with me. And because he's always with me, I won't be shaken. What does it mean not to be shaken? It means that, that you're going to be truthful and honest to your word because he's always there and you don't want to grieve him. And even if you do fail him because he's always there and because he never breaks his promise, you can always run back to him because he never leaves you. Because he said he promised he wouldn't do that. So that's, that's in general the principle of what Jesus is talking about. Now what does it mean? What does it look like to have your yeses mean yes and your noes mean no? As it says in, in um, verse 37. It's to realize that God is always witnessing our words. It means when you give a yes, you're consistent with it. You don't say one thing but mean another. You don't say one thing to one group of people and then say something to a different group of people. You don't say one thing to someone and then contradict what you said when you're talking to a different person. It's to have consistency. You know the word that we use to have consistency? 
Integrity, yeah. It's to, to have integrity. Now, um, I think Pete was a math major, right, Pete? I don't know if there are any other math majors, but the word integrity and the word integer share the same root. So what is an integer? What's that? Pete doesn't get to answer. He's the only one who has a degree in this. <laughs> it's a whole number. Yeah. And it, so when you're not an integer, what are you? You're a fraction. When you're an integer, you're a whole number. When you're not an integer, you're a fraction. What does it mean when you have integrity? It means you're a whole person. What does it mean when you don't have integrity? You're fractured. A person with integrity is whole. Whole in the way that they live and whole in the way that they speak. So let, let me ask you some questions. This is the integrity test of the morning. And this is where the drill starts to penetrate, okay? Do you constantly say one thing and then do another? Do you say, I'll call you next week, and you never do? Do you say, I'll follow up, and you fail to do that? Do you make promises and then later on qualify those promises and give all the reasons why you weren't able to fulfill that promise? Now, I know that happens sometimes, but is this a pattern? Do you make promises and then later say, well, circumstances have changed. I need to be true to myself now. Do you break promises consistently to your friends, to your job, to your spouse, to your church family? Do you say, yeah, I'm in it for the long haul, and then suddenly, poof, you're gone, and nobody knows why? How about this? Are, are you one way in public, but another in private? Are you warm and friendly and outgoing to strangers and clients, but cold and harsh with your children? Do you spin what you believe depending on what setting you're in? When you're with a group of Christians, you say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and I love him, and I want to be with him. And then when you're with people that don't believe him, you're like, yeah, I'm not really one of those fanatical believers. Do you act one way with your church family, but differently with your work friends? Are you the picture of discipleship when you're around believers, but then when you join your coworkers at um, happy hour, you wouldn't be able to tell you as the same person? Are you different online than you are in reality? Do you give off a persona that you're full of confidence and that you have a fantastic life, but inwardly you know it's a sham? Are you a fraction or are you an integer? See, we live in a world that where the flow is towards fracturization. 
Here's what I mean by that. What was the American dream originally? Yeah, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. If I just put it a different way, it goes like this. You can be anyone you want to be if you try hard enough. Right? You can be anybody that you want to be. It doesn't matter what station you are in life. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. If you put in the effort, you can be somebody in this country. That was the original American dream. You know what it's turned into, though? You know what the American dream is of today? Yeah. It, it goes like this. You can be whoever you want to be today. Just fake it until you make it. Just, just pretend you are what you want to be with no effort at all, and you can be that person. And it, here's the thing. The Internet has trained us how to turn that up to 11, hasn't it? And when that's the operating assumption of life, then, then what we're told is, go ahead and be different people, different things to different people, as long as you get what you're after. Go ahead and break your promises as long as it gets you to your goals. Go ahead and say you'll be at your company for five years, but then leave after six months because you got a better offer somewhere else. Go ahead, I mean, tell those church people, yeah, you're fully invested. But as soon as you hear something that you don't like, bolt. And get the heck out of there. I mean, this is the the water that we swim in. Be whoever you want to be and don't feel guilty for what you need to do in order to get what you need because you only live once. Right? Right? Now, when I put it that way, you go, yeah, that's true of the world, but that's not me. That's not me. I'm not like that. And here's what I would say. Uh, If we're thinking that way, here's what's really going on. We're a frog in a kettle pot. And we don't realize that, that every... Because here's the thing. We think about those big things and we go, that's not me. I'm not that bad. But then we tell little white lies and we do little duplicitous things. And we, and we cut corners. And what are we doing? Every time we do that, we're turning up the kettle one degree at a time. And one day, we're going to get cooked. We're going to become just like the culture that we're swimming in. And you don't even know what's happening to you. You have to know, every time we lack integrity, it's an, it's, we, we go from an integer to a fraction. And yeah, it may be one 128th of, a, of an inch, but it's happening bit by bit, little by little. And the American dream is turning into a nightmare, and we become participants in it. Now, here's... Let me, what do you mean by that? All right, the drill's going down. Every time that we lack integrity, we move one step closer to a nightmare. And here, let me just give you three ways. The first way is that when, when you lack integrity, it destroys your community. 
It destroys relationships, doesn't it? Because every time you lack integrity, every time you're dishonest or you, you tell a white lie, even if it's done with the purest of motives, doesn't it isolate you from the one that you told it to? Every time you feel like you, you have to be someone that you're not in order to be around a certain person, doesn't that facade build a wall between you and that person? Because they don't know the real you anymore. And every lie and every dishonesty is a brick in that wall. And what you're doing is building a a, a prison of solitary confinement if you do it with enough people. It destroys community. And here's the other, it destroys your identity too. It, It destroys your identity. Because your identity should be based on something that never changes. Right? It should be based on something that's true of you No matter what environment you're in, no matter who you're around, no matter what the circumstances are, you're able to say, this is who I am, regardless of what happens. Now, if you put your identity into something that's constantly changing, then like I said, it it isolates you from other people because they don't know who you are. But here's the thing. It also means that you don't even know who you are. Because who are you today? Well, it's whoever I am when I'm around this person or around that person. See, we become fractured not just to other people, but we become fractured to ourselves. This is the whole reason why um, when uh, someone is is in a pattern of lying, right? When when this has just become their, their, their way of life, and then they get caught in the lie, and they get... They're suddenly experiencing the consequences of the gap between their perception and reality. Um, They don't just feel guilty about what they've done. What do they say? They say things like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Why would they do that? It's because they've become the lie. And then the lie was exposed, and they no longer know who they are. They have no identity anymore. When you're a fractured person, when you're different in every situation, and you always do what you think will benefit you directly, and you lie or cheat or break promises, in the end, there's no you left. You see how serious this is? You see how susceptible we are to it? And then eventually, it des- it'll destroy you. It'll destroy you. B- because there's a real world with real facts out there. And every time we, we distort the truth, we put ourselves at odds with that. It's, it's as if we're, we're getting pulled up uh, above the truth. And one day, the, the, the lie is going to let us go, and we will fall down and splat. We will go. Um, I, this, is, this is why they say honesty is the best policy, right? Uh, when I was a kid, I was like seven or eight, I think, uh, I went with a neighborhood friend of mine and his mom to go get ice cream, which is about a 10-minute drive away. And we go and we get ice cream, and she wanted to get back to the house. So rather than eating the ice cream there, she did the unbreakable sin of momhood, and she let three boys in the back of her van eat ice cream on the way home. And uh, we're roughhousing in the back, because that's what boys do. 
And, uh, and, and in the midst of all that, my cone and the ice cream in it goes over my shoulder somehow uh, and splat on the, the floor behind us in the trunk. And I sat there for a second as a kid going, oh, no, what do I do? And uh, she noticed the fact that I didn't have an ice cream, and, you know, the other two have just gotten started on theirs. And I said, I ate it. <laughs> you stupid kid. What are you doing? <laughs> and so, like, she starts just asking me questions. Oh, how was it? Oh, it was good. <laughs> you know, like, in every question, the heat's getting turned up, and I'm getting further and further from reality. And so we pull into the driveway, and we get out of the car, and, and me and my friends go into the backyard to start playing. And somewhere in my kid mind, I'm thinking, I've done it. I got away with it. <laughs> I'm really good at this. And then like 30 seconds later, I hear from the driveway my name being screamed out <laughs> by my friend's mom. You think I came clean? Nope. <laughs> I got up and ran immediately home. <laughs> and then I thought again, I've escaped the consequences. You know what happened? 30 seconds later, the phone rang. <laughs> and I didn't escape. Now, real, eventually, reality catches up with you. And it, now, all, the only thing that was destroyed in that scenario was my reputation with my friend's mom. And it took me a long time to rebuild that reputation. But you and I both know there are other scenarios where someone has, has pulled away from reality, and the results of that have been far more devastating. Uh, it's, it's been heartbreaking for me, particularly as a pastor, over the last five years to consider when I was in seminary, when I was getting my graduate education to, to be here with you all, um, there were authors and pastors of books that were highly respected, men whose theology and ministry we looked up to and wanted to emulate as soon as we got out of the gates. These were the upstanding citizens of the evangelical world. And you know what's happened in the last five years? So many of the men whose books I still have on my shelf have been shown not to be terrible pastors or terrible leaders. Do you know what's gotten them? The fact that they've been fractured. The fact that even though they were wonderful from a stage, that behind closed doors they were mishandling finances. That, that they could uh, counsel someone and pray for someone with such eloquent language and yet prey on the women in their congregations when no one was looking. That it seemed like in public they had everything together but if you joined a staff team meeting, you would see that they were abusive and domineering to the people that were under them. And what happened to these men? This isn't, this isn't just a theoretical scenario. This is reality. 
Everything that they were saying from the stage was truthful and honest, and yet they lacked integrity. There was a disconnect between who they were and who they projected themselves to be, and it caught up with them. And it's not just a problem for pastors. When you're disconnected from reality, it will catch up with you too. You know, what's the, what's the similarity between lying and breathing underwater? Both are going to kill you. One may be more quickly than others, but you weren't designed to do either, and so both will lead to your death. If you're dishonest enough, it's going to lead to the death of your career. It's going to lead to the death of your family. It's certainly going to lead to the death of your credibility. It will suffocate you. Every little yes, Jesus is saying, and every little no is a battleground where your integrity is being fought for. Which way are you going to go? Who are you going to be? Are you going to be whole in the way that you live, or are you going to be fractured? Because integrity is wholeness in the way that you live. Now, has the drill gone down deep enough? No. No. <laughs> Unfortunately, it hasn't. Because integrity is, it, integrity is about the way that you live, but it's also about the way that you speak. Jesus is calling for integrity in the way that we speak. Uh, in verse 34, he says, But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. And that seems funny, right? Because at first it looks like he's saying, don't make any promises. Say, say maybe all the time. <laughs> We, we know that Jesus, he can't be saying that because Jesus himself made promises. And, and Paul, his, one of his greatest disciples, made promises and oaths. God himself makes oaths and covenants with us. Besides the fact that you can't live in this world without making oaths. We just call them contracts. Right? And so you make a contract for your mortgage or your car payment or your student loans or your wedding vows or a work contract. So we have to make these, so it can't be what he's saying. What he means is, you, yeah, you can make an oath if it gives someone else the assurance that you're going to follow through on your word. But here's the difference. When it comes to you and your word, there can't be levels of truthfulness. The, a half-truth is no truth at all. A delayed promise is no promise at all. There can't be degrees in which you're truthful. And so don't ever think to yourself, well, if I swear a promise, then I'm bound to it. But if I haven't, I'm off the hook. Jesus is saying you can't think that way because everything is a promise. Everything is a yes and everything is a no. And so don't make oaths as if oaths are some kind of special category of truthfulness. No, be truthful and whole in what you say all the time. You're always under oath. You know what that means? I mean, it, it means that every single thing that you say should be as truthful as if you were swearing it on your grandmother's Bible. Now, your grandmother may not have a Bible, Insert whatever is meaningful for you there. But there's a, a terrifying verse. So I'm going to share it with you because misery loves company. And I know about it. 
So <laughs> it's Matthew 12, verse 36, where Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. They will give an account for every... What is a careless word? A careless word is a word that you use to manipulate the truth whereby you love yourself more than the person you're speaking to. You know, it doesn't take much imagination to think about what that could look like. But let me give you examples, all right? Gosh, I'm, I'm being terrible on you today. I'm sorry. Um, it's, it's saying things like, I would love to come, but I'm busy, when you really wouldn't love to come. Uh, it, it's, it's exaggerating um, what you say in order to make a point. So when, if you're arguing with your spouse and you say things like, you always do that, or you never do that, well, is it really true? Or are you just using a word carelessly because you want to hold something over the other person? A careless word could be an inflation of a story in order to make yourself look better. This neighborhood kid uh, who I love, um, his mom told me the story one time that he, they have a, a shore house, and they go down to it a lot on the weekends. And one weekend they come back, and they go to school on Monday, and the teacher asked what they did over the weekend. And the boy said, I was attacked by a shark. <laughs> really? What did you do? Well, I fought him off. With what? With a shovel? I mean, and like the story went on for like 10 minutes. And he's like inventing all of these details with the story. What, what it turned out was that a shark had beached itself and he watched it and someone threw it back into the ocean. But in his little mind, he, he saw an opportunity to inflate himself. It's, it's, it's funny when kids do it. It's not so funny when we do it. And we do it all the time. It, think about this. If there was going to be a camera and it was going to record everything that you said tomorrow and every way that you said it, and that at the end of the day, it was going to be broadcast on the Internet for like 50 million people to watch. Would that change the way that you talk? Would you take more care over your words if that were going to be the, the, the case? Now, if, if you're like me, you would go, well, of course. I'd be far more careful. And that means we haven't read Matthew 12, verse 36. Because what verse 36 says is, on the day of judgment, you and I will give an account. There will be a tape playing with every careless word that we've spoken. Isn't that terrifying? We're always before the presence of God. There's no way to shut him out. So you can't get away from him. And we do this because we're so concerned about the, the, the opinions of other people and the appraisal of the people around us. Whose appraisal of us is the one that really counts? It's the one who made us, isn't it? Are you whole? Are you whole in the way that you live? Are you whole in the way that you speak? Now, if, 
If you're like me, and if you're honest with yourself, I hope the answer is no. And that's why I was so convicted this week, because I'm, I'm looking at my own life, and I'm thinking about my own words, and I'm going, gosh, like, this hurts. The answer is no, I'm not what I would like to be. I, I, I want to be far more whole than I am right now. And I hope you would be too. But here's the thing. I can't just tell you, okay, go do it, right? That's never the point. We can't just go out and do it and try harder because we'll be doomed to fail. We, we have to understand, all right, we've done the drilling, okay? Drilling's over. Whew. Everybody sigh of relief, okay? Um, but here's, what's that? Yeah, the Novocaine's wearing thin. Um, so, so here's the thing. Um, we have to, the root's exposed, and so we have to look at the root, and then we have to fill the problem. You got to look at what's actually causing it, and you got to fill it with the, with the right thing. Otherwise, it's going to just fall out, and you're going to be the same person with the same problems again and again, right? So, so what's the problem? The problem, I think, is in verse 33, where he says, again, I tell you, you've heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you've made. You know what the word fulfill means? It means to pay. That's an odd word, right? You would expect him to say, um, if you've made a vow, do it. But he doesn't say that. He says, if you've made a promise, pay it. If you've said a word, pay it. Now, why pay? I think it's because to tell the truth costs you something. It costs you something, doesn't it? Now, if, in order to tell the truth, you have to be willing to pay the cost that's involved. And so often, the reason that we don't tell the truth is because we don't want to pay the price. Yeah. Now, if you're someone who loves the approval of other people, if you're like a, just a, a people pleaser, what's the price for telling the truth? For you. Well, gosh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, if I tell them the truth, then they're not going to like me anymore. Or my, their opinion of me might get damaged, or they might think poorly of me. And so you fudge the truth, and you exaggerate, and you misrepresent the facts, or you lie. Why? Because you're not willing to pay the price of the truth. Some of you aren't people pleasers. Uh, some of you are control people. Oh, you thought you were getting out of it. You're like, yeah, those people pleasers, they never want to pay the price. All right, let's talk about us control freaks, okay? <laughs> um. A control freak doesn't feel good when people think well of them. A control freak feels good when everything goes according to their plan. When, they've, when they're managing the world around them and everyone around them. And it's all lining up so well and so nicely. Now, what, if you've lied in order to construct the, the reality of managing your world, what, what's the cost to you to tell the truth? It's to have your control taken away. Because 
See, because no longer are you in charge of the results. When you tell the truth, the truth has results of its own, and you have to trust the one who wants you to tell the truth rather than manipulating the people around you with the truth that you want to give them. Ouch. See, I, I know this one really intimately. <laughs> See, approval people don't mind being, not being in control as long as people like them. Control people don't mind if people like them as long as they call the shots. And both types of people are going to be tempted to lie when they're put in situations where the cost is too great for them to bear. This is the root. Now, maybe you're not like either one of those people. Maybe you're like a, a, just a kind of a free floater. And you, you just, you don't like commitments. You want to go where you want to go anytime you want to go. You don't want anybody to, to, to hold you down. You want to keep your options open. And what Jesus is telling you is, it's important for you to make promises and keep them. To make promises. To, to commit yourself to things. And to keep that commitment. Why might you break that? Why might the cost for those things be too great for you to pay? Well, you might get 10 years down in the marriage and you go, you know what, I'm tired of putting in the effort. The, 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 the cost is too high. And so I'm just going to go my own way and I'm going to break my promise. Or th this person said something that I didn't like and I don't, I don't need them. I, I, I'm going to get new friends. And you don't want to pay the cost to tell them the truth in love and to restore the relationship. See, that's the issue. We're not willing to pay the cost. So how, how do you get to... That's the root, okay? Let's restore it. Let's fill it in. How do you get to the point where you, you, you're so secure in who you are, you're so full of joy, you're so content in every situation that you, you're always willing to pay the price, no matter what, to tell the truth. You're just willing to do it. You understand that there's going to be a cost, and you're willing to pay for it. How do you get to that point? You look at Jesus. Friends, that's always the answer. Because here's what happened with Jesus. Jesus, at his trial, do you know what's happening to him? He's being accused of lying about who he is. He's being accused of being a fracture rather than an integer. And, and, and falsely claiming that he's the king. And, and people are going, you're not the king. Stop saying you're the king. And, and, and here's what happens. Jesus goes under trial. He goes to Pontius Pilate. And Pilate questions him privately, and he says to him, to Jesus, in John 18, verse 37, so you're a king, are you? And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. To do what? To bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm not being condemned because I'm lying. I'm being condemned because I'm telling the truth. And here's, uh, here's the irony, right? The people that were pinning the lies to Jesus were the ones who had the most to lose if Jesus was who he said he was. 
It was the religious leaders. It was the people in power. It was the people that, that had control and the reins on, on everything that was going on. And, and if Jesus is really the king, then that means he's a king over them, which means their power is coming to an end. And so what do they do? They say, this man cannot be king because if he is, we'll have to pay the cost. And so they made Jesus pay the cost instead. You see it? And Jesus went to the cross, not because he lied, because he was paying for the lies of others. And that is, in and of itself, is a picture of the gospel. That the amazing thing about the gospel is that Jesus doesn't just go to the cross for the lies of the religious leaders. He goes to the cross willingly to pay for our lies, to pay for our dishonesty. Because the truth is we don't tell the truth. And the truth is we deserve a penalty for breaking the truth and our word before God and before other people again and again and again. And God said, rather than extract payment from us, I'm going to extract it from my son, and I'm going to allow him to, to bear the cost on behalf of the liars, even though he was the only one to tell the truth. And you see what happens? We don't like to face the truth because it makes us feel like we're stripped naked of our defenses, right? Right? You think, man, if I had to tell the truth all the time, like, I just, I would feel, like, bare. Don't you see that Jesus, there's the truth incarnate, was stripped naked and became vulnerable so that you could be clothed in his righteousness forever. He who is everywhere, in the heavens, in the earth, in the temple, and here this morning, and with you tomorrow morning, looks into your heart, and he witnesses the very worst about you. Yes, even that. And he knows more deeply and more intimately how broken than even you know you are, and yet he loves you anyway. He loved you before you were born. He knew what you were going to be about before you even existed. And he went to the cross willingly. Not because you, he, he knew how great you'd be, but because he knew how much of a mess you'd be and how much you'd need saving. And he loved you. God loved you. He loved you so much that he gave up what was most precious to him so that he could cleanse you and live in you. And bear witness to the truth and allow you to be a truthful person. You were, I, think about this, you were saved because of his integrity for you. Because he was whole where you were fractured. On the night before Jesus was crucified and led to the cross, he was in a garden praying by himself, right? You remember this story? He goes to the garden. He goes to pray. He asks his disciples, keep your word, watch and pray with me. And what do they do? They fail their word. They fall down on the job. But what did Jesus do for them and for us? He kept his promise. 
he made a promise before the Father that he was going to come to the world and he was going to rescue us from our sin. And then a moment came where Jesus is in the dark and no one's looking at him. He can, at that moment, be untrue to his word and say, it's not worth it. And yet he said to his Father, not my will, but yours be done. He kept his promise to God for you. And let me tell you, family, when you see him keeping his word, having integrity in the dark for you, then you'll be able to have integrity in the dark for him. Because his love has been poured out into your heart. Set the Lord always before you, because if he's with you, you will not be shaken. Let's pray. Father, what um, pain it is to look at our own lives and to realize and to have a mirror and a light shined on areas that we are not proud of. Um, it was painful for me this week, I, and I trust that it's painful for us collectively as we look and consider these things, but God, I thank you that you knew what was down there before we did. And the cross stands just the same, and Jesus' arms are just as open wide. Thank you, God, that you're simply inviting us into reality, into the truth that you know how, de how deeply we need you, and you, you, you are prepared to pay the cost for each and every one of us to be whole. Holy Spirit, fill us with the love of Christ. Let his integrity for us be so tangible, so present to us, that no matter what situation we're in, no matter what you call us to, we will be people of the truth because you've been a person of the truth for us. We need your help to do it. Fill us, we ask in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jay. This is the time of our service that we're going to just kind of respond to him, um, and we respond in different ways. And I just kind of want to share what I was actually just thinking about as we were praying is that things are happening all around us, and I think we will often see that and think of and say how broken our world is. And I think we forget that we're the broken ones too. So in thinking about that message and just the truth um, and the lies kind of even that we tell ourselves and that we believe about ourselves, we forget that, that we're just as broken as those around us, and we need Jesus just as much as they do. So I just invite you in this time just to quiet your heart. We're going to just listen to God for about a minute or so. and Just open up your heart to whatever it is he's saying, and whether that's the truth he, he's saying to tell you about the lies you've been believing, um, or just things in your heart that he's convicting you of that maybe you haven't been honest with those around you. And so I'm going to lead us in prayer and just invite you to kind of sit in your chair, just be quiet, and, and listen to whatever it is that God is bringing to mind for you. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your words this morning and just how, how convicting and what a great reminder 
of the love that you have for us. Um, and that even though we have made mistakes and not been honest, that you are, you're here to wrap your arms around us and just love us. And so we just want to spend some time listening to you, Lord God, and just invite you to speak to us.